For those of you who spend time on the internet, you are undoubtedly familiar with the term epic fail. Now, for those who do not know the term, it is defined by dictionary.com as a spectacularly embarrassing or humorous mistake, humiliating situation that is subject to ridicule. I know it well. Now, it's often used online with memes, pictures, or videos, or texts that spread like wildfire all over the internet and just show it. And, and some of them are funny. Uh, for instance, a dictator who is watching his troops go by and puts the binoculars up and he forgot to take the lens caps off. Or maybe a child who thinks he's the next world's greatest soccer player that somehow doesn't quite get it. Or maybe the hurdler who forgets to hurdle. Now, sometimes the humor can be a little bit dark when you realize the epic fail might actually have resulted in serious illness. I'm not sure how a plane winds up in this position. I just hope and pray I will never be in one that does. Or, and this unfortunately can happen in our neck of the woods, when a train derails. And it can all of a sudden, it's not as funny, is it? It, it can be serious. It can be threatening. And so we understand that. Well, this morning, we are going to look at an epic failure that has no humor in it at all. Our text reveals that Abram, the great father of faith, made a major misstep. On the road to faith, he makes a major misstep. And so we're going to look at the word today. I'm going to ask you to stand as we look at Genesis 12, 10 through 13, 1. Listen with your heart because this is not a pleasant story, but it's one we need to hear. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say this is his wife, then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me, he said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men 
And they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. And God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Folks, as ugly as this story really is, there's an important truth that we need to learn from Abram's misstep. We've got to understand this. As we're looking at his life journey, we're going to treat it honestly just as the Word of God does. And this is major. And what is that truth? We must guard our hearts in times of trials. Now, if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you have had a trial or a struggle this week? I would expect most of you, if not all of you, to raise your hand. They're realities. And when they happen, even people of faith can struggle. And so we need to learn the truth. We need to look at what happened to Abram and what can happen to us. And these truths will reveal not only the crippling effects that can happen with this misstep, but it also gives us insight what follows. So we're going to look at the very first reality. Fear strikes. Fear strikes. And it can happen at any moment, at any time in our lives. In the story, we are told very clearly what caused Abram's fear. A famine put Abram into a tailspin. Now we have no idea how long it took after Abram came to Canaan, built his altars before the Lord, called on the name of the Lord and the famine hit. There's no time schedule here. But we do know what happened. As soon as Abram recognized the the extreme problem of the famine, so they must have been there a while, he made a decision to go down to Egypt to survive the famine. Now, it's been pointed out, we should not automatically assume that somehow it was Egypt was a forbidden territory to God's people. If you know your book of Genesis well, you will know in one of the other patriarchs, Joseph, during the famine, God actually used Egypt as a place to allot his children rescue and help. So it's not just that it's Egypt, but this is the problem. It's reflected in the very first passage from our our scripture reading this morning. When James says, why are you saying I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that when you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow? It would be better if you started life and your decisions by saying, if God wills, this is what I plan. Now, I don't think this means every time we have to verbally express that, but it needs to be in our heart. And Abram, there is absolutely no indication in this passage of Scripture that Abram stopped to seek the leadership of the Lord. No hint that he waited for a mandate from God and he had heard God's voice before, hasn't he? No hint that he prayed to God. He went there on his own initiative. He seemed to have taken a good look at the circumstances. And they're not hard. Canaan's in a famine and it's a bad one. Egypt has plenty. Therefore, we need to get to Egypt as quickly as possible. But he did not take into account the God who had called him to Canaan. Now, the text does not comment 
on the absence of God's instructions to leave. But the fact that we, as we look at this, the context suggests Abram based his decision on fear. Fear of the famine rather than seeking a word from God. Now you fast forward in Israel's history many centuries. And you'll find the prophet Isaiah speaking to the people of Judah the word of the Lord. And Judah is afraid because of all of the world's happenings that are going on. Judah's trying to make treaties with other nations because they're afraid they might be taken. And listen to what Isaiah said. Isaiah 31.1 Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, who rely on horses, who trust in the multitude of their chariots and the great strength of their horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or seek help from the Lord. Arthur Pink, a great Bible scholar back in the 19th century, said if Abram had looked to God for specific instructions during this crisis, it's possible that God would have sent him to Egypt anyway. But with a specific strategy how to face the problems that he would encounter when he got there. God, Abram might have made the right choice where to go, but he didn't bother to look to God. And God could have given him insight and kept him from this horrible mistake. Now, what does this have to do to us, with us? Far too much. Because fear can often cripple our faith. Fear can cripple our faith. And let's be honest, there are a lot of things that stir up fear in this world, aren't there? We have seen a rash of violence here on the coast over the last few weeks. And, and the stories of human cruelty are instantly reported on news feeds. If you have your phone set to notifications from WLOX or WXXV, then you, you hear almost immediately about mass shootings or parents' horrible treatments of their own children. And humanity's inhumanity to man is such a horrible thing that it's easy to be afraid. And then, how about, can any of you think of leaders in this world that seem to be more interested in their own agendas than in the needs of the people who are often arrogant in their abuse of power? Leaving us wonder what's going to happen. And then, for those of us of faith, we're having to face something new in our culture, in our lifetime. There is a marked decline in our country in faith. More and more people are abandoning the faith that they were raised with. More and more people are saying, I have no need for God or the church. So we are wondering, what does that mean? Are we doomed for judgment? Is there any hope? I've been praying, I've told you my entire adult life for an awakening of God to move. And I've encouraged you to pray the same thing. And there's part of us that wonder, is it too late? When we allow these things to control our lives, Natalie's right, everybody has fear at some time. But when we allow that fear to control us, our faith begins to wane. 
we find ourselves stuck in despair. We can't move forward. We lose sight of the God who reigns. We forget that we serve God Almighty. The God of hosts. The Lord of the armies who created this world. We lose sight. And we find ourselves, if we're not careful, making decisions that are based on fear and not faith. Folks, I get it. I get it. There are times, there are times we're tempted to pull the covers over our head and just never go out there again. It doesn't work. So what do we do? How do we look at this issue of fear? How do we avoid Mistakes that Abram made and that we so often made in ourselves. We must not allow, follow decisions built on fear. We must not follow decisions built on fear. You see, we need to remember always, no matter what the circumstances are in our life, God is greater than our circumstances. And if we will remember this, if we will understand this, turning to His Word, allowing the Spirit to speak into our hearts, then we will understand how crazy it is for the children of God to be owned by fear. Charles Spurgeon was a British preacher in the 1800s. He's known as the Prince of Preachers. All of my friends in seminary and college, we wanted to preach like Spurgeon. Listen to what he had to say about prayer. Can we gain anything by fearing and fuming? Do we not unfit ourselves for action and unhinge our minds for wise decision? We are sinking by our struggles when we might float by faith. And then he says there is nothing in the world more ridiculous than unbelieving fears. Ouch. Folks, we must not forget our God reigns. We may not know what He's going to do and that can be fearful in itself. God, we need Your help. And normally we want it quicker maybe than He's giving it. Not realizing He's with us every step of the way. He reigns. But as we continue looking at Abram and continue looking at this idea of fear controlling, we can see that Abram's lack of faith would lead him to an absolutely terrible, a reprehensible decision. As we see the next truth in Abram's life, an ungodly solution is born. There's no way to pretty this up, folks. There's no way to make this look better. The reality is, Abram launched a horrible plan to save himself. We get the picture. They are about to cross the border into Egypt. They are now going to be in Egyptian territory. And as they're there, he shares his plan with Sarai. I know you're a beautiful woman. 
And I know that the Egyptians are going to think so too. Now, there are a lot of people that, well, wait a minute. How old was 65, 70? Well, folks, knowing some of the women we have here in our lives, that's not too old to be beautiful. But keep in mind, Sarah died when she's 127. This is middle age for her. She's beautiful, and I know, but when we go there, if they find out you're my wife, they're going to kill me. They're going to take you for their own. Now, why would he think that? Because the world in which he lived. The world Abram lived, if you went into foreign territory, they didn't know you and your wife was good looking, they might very well kill you and take her for their own. So he's going to present her as his sister, which is a half-truth. They shared a father. Now before you get weirded out, because the law forbids that, I remind you, Abraham didn't have the law. Abram grew up in a pagan society where that was perfectly acceptable. Not only that, Haran, where he spent about 15 years before going on to Canaan, it was not unusual for a husband to adopt his sister, excuse me, adopt his wife as his sister. Sister wives were held in high esteem. They were given more power in society. I know that's very weird, but that was the society. But this is his sister, And his reason for the deception, he doesn't even hide. I want it to go well for me. We must not lose sight of what he's saying. In all of this fear, perhaps, some have suggested, maybe Abram thought, we're going to tell them you're my sister. And that will buy us some time. Because if they think you're my wife, they're going to kill me immediately. If they think you're my sister, maybe I can figure out a way out of the mess. But he was putting the well-being of his wife, the very one whom he was bound to protect, at risk. Sarai is crucial to the plan of God. Abram's going to be the father of a nation, but Sarai is going to be the mother. Abram was willing to compromise that in order to save himself. Now, I'm pretty sure we don't have any men in our congregation who would be quite as unintelligent to tell their wives, I'm going to pass you off as my sister. I'm pretty sure we're not going to deal with that. But folks, that doesn't mean we're free from the problem that Abraham faced. How does it deal with us? Fearful separation can lead us to bring dishonor to God. Not in the same way. But folks, it doesn't have to be the exact same way to bring dishonor. Think for just a moment. You have heard me tell you that studies have shown 95% of professing believers in Christ in those blind studies where people tell the truth, 95% have never shared their faith with anyone. Now, anybody want to guess? Anybody want to shout out a 
What is the number one reason people don't share their faith? Fear. Exactly, afraid. They're afraid of being rejected. They're afraid of being ridiculed. Maybe they're afraid if I, if I push my faith on my family or friends, they'll leave me. They'll be ostracized. But we need to understand when we refuse to share our faith because of fear, we have rejected the command of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is not a suggestion. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said, there am, this is not just for the apostles, okay? This is a call for all believers. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus said, you need to go and tell and show and develop people. And I want you to know, I'm going to be with you. You don't have to be afraid. I am going to go with you every step of this journey. If that wasn't enough in Acts 1.8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Not only does Jesus say, I will be with you, he says, I, the Spirit's going to come into your lives, empowering you to do this. You're not on your own. So fear keeps us from telling people the story. Fear of persecution can cause us to refuse our call to be salt and light in this world. We are called to be light that shines on the darkness. Light that refuses to compromise with the darkness of this world. Showing what the truth is. We are called to be salt that preserves and fights off the decay of a culture that has gone awry. And in the end, the truth is, fear of failure can cause us to simply not try. We're just not going to try because it's not going to work. And when we're fear, afraid of failure, so we just stop, pretty soon we have apathy in our lives. Our faith suddenly becomes a spectator sport. And we sit in the comfortable pew watching other people do the things of God, but not me because I can't do it. I haven't been to seminary. I haven't been, had training. I can't do it. Jesus said, you will be my witness. And I don't know if you thought about this, but one way or other, we are. We're either telling the world Jesus is not that important to us, or we're telling the world he's our Lord. So what do we do? We must carefully weigh the consequences of our actions. Abram had one thing on his mind. Self-preservation. That's it. That's all that he cared about. He didn't care about what God wanted. All he was focused on. I want to be live. So we must honestly assess and look, acknowledge. When we are controlled by fear, the consequence, it's not only going to affect us. It's going to affect those around us as well. 
often leading them to the same fears. I'll give you a case in point. It's kind of ridiculous now. But you guys remember the beginning of COVID? And the craziness? People were hoarding toilet paper. I found one possible explanation. Somebody suggested maybe somebody saw somebody at Sam's who was getting their normal book supply and thought, I better get some before it's out. And fear spread. Folks, it's a necessary item. But it wasn't going to help with COVID. Fear is contagious. And if those people who are in our lives that know we are faith, people of faith, see fear, it can lead them to the same fears. So what do we do about this? When we make that assessment, what should be our heart? A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite writers of the 20th century. If you don't have anything written by Tozer, you need to get some of his devotional literature at least. But he said, a man may be considered spiritual when he wants to see the honor of God advance through his life, even if it means that he himself must suffer temporary dishonor or loss. Another desire of the spiritual man is to die right rather than to live wrong. That's a pretty good idea, concept, isn't it? Lord, let my heart be such that everything I do, rather than based on fear, is based on you and your love and your provision. So my life will demonstrate the hope that is mine in Jesus Christ. You see, in our story, we we come to a place with Abram when it looks as though Abram has gone too far. I mean, this is, this is a pretty crazy solution that puts his wife in danger and apparently it appears the promise of God in danger. And we can do that too. But, our last truth, God intervenes. God intervenes. When it looks like it can't be solved, when it looks like it's all over, God intervenes. And what you need to know about Abram and his as well, folks, we need to understand this. God's purpose would not be undone by Abram's faithlessness. You see, Abram may well have thought Saying you're my sister will buy me some time, but he had a snag in the pro- he had a snag in the story, because the Egyptian who now wants Sarai is Pharaoh, and Pharaoh doesn't have to do any bargaining. He's the king. He's the king, and and the Egyptians kind of looked at it. He's the king, pretty close to a god. So Pharaoh. When he hears about her, she's really beautiful. He takes her into his palace and into his harem with the purpose of making his wife, her, her his wife. And Abram's words come back and bite him. 
Because Pharaoh did well to Abram on the sake of Sarai. He pays generously. Flocks, servants, Abram prospers. And the thing about it, Abram could not come up with any scheme that would save the day. How do you unsay she's my sister? How do you fix this problem that you have caused? He couldn't. Sarai was about to be compromised. We don't know, the scripture doesn't tell us whether or not there was an act of an adultery if it got that far. But she was about to be compromised and then God moved. God moved because only divine intervention could deliver Sarai from Pharaoh's harem unharmed. And he did so in a way that really worked. He sent diseases. And by the way, the word translated diseases here is the exact same word for plagues found in the, the story of the Exodus when plagues were visited. So folks, this wasn't a cough caused by allergies. We don't know the, the extreme details, but it was bad. And it started as soon as Sarai gets into the palace and the Egyptians are a bit, a bit superstitious so they say this woman comes the diseases come, they got to be connected. Now, I don't know how Pharaoh figured out the truth, but he does. And folks, this wasn't a calm discussion. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you tell me she was? No. Why did you do this to me? Why did you cause this? You told me she was your sister. You said... And she's your wife. So Pharaoh, a pagan, remember Abram was a pagan before he's met the Lord. A pagan has a stronger moral compass than Abram does at this moment. Why did you do this? And he expels him from the country. And when it says he told his men what to do about Abram, the, the suggestion is, they didn't just set him on his way. They apparently went with him. Escorted him out of Egypt. There are times you do not want law enforcement escorting you. But God provided a rescue for Sarai and her misguided husband. Now, the interesting thing, there are a lot of people who will say, well, you know what? Abraham didn't have it so bad after all, did he? He gets his wife back and then look at everything he's got. He has really prospered from this. And it seems at first glance that God was somehow rewarding Abraham for this horrible thing he did. But we need to think about that a little bit clearer. Yes, Abram did prosper for his, his deception. But it's been pointed out, everything Abram received in Egypt later caused him trouble. And it doesn't take long. In chapter 13, the 
greater wealth of Abram and Lot have become so much and their flock so big, they can no longer live together. And they have to separate. And have you ever wondered where Sarai got that handmaiden, Hagar? Hagar was probably part of the dowry. And she brought division and sorrow and jealousy into the home. And then thinking about Lot again. Lot had a taste of wealth. Egypt got him a lot of stuff. And so Lot begins measuring everything by what he saw in Egypt. We're going to take a look at when they split, but Lot chooses the best for himself. And he wants the cities where there's wealth, which led to his downfall, the ruin of his family. And Warren Wiersbe has pointed out very succinctly, there are no benefits from disobedience. God moved out of his faithfulness. God moved to guarantee his promise and purpose. Abram would continue to grow in faith even though there would be ebbs and flows. As we continue our journey through the life of Abram, you're going to see times of exponential growth and then you're going to see times of setback. Abram lived and would become Abraham the father of nations. Now what does this mean for us? And it is here, hope returns to our story. Because God can move in our lives in spite of our foolishness. God can live in our lives and move even when we really mess up. Again, if I were to ask for a show of hands of people who have really messed up, probably ought to be universal. Like Abram, we too can and do make decisions contrary to the will of God. There are times in our lives we get caught up in what we want over what God wants. But when that happens, we must not lose sight of the God who rescued Abram. We must not lose sight of God. Edwin Lutzer, pastor, said, Often we assume that God is unable to work in our weaknesses, mistakes, and sins. We forget that God is a specialist. He is well able to work our failures into his plans. Romans 8.28 does not say everything works out for the best. It doesn't say everything, if something bad happens, God has got to make something good happen. It says, we know that all things are working together by God to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So even in our failures, God can move and bring about His will. Folks, just think about the folks in the Bible. Abram's story as well as Jacob's, David's, Peter's, and so many others remind us that God can take people with feet of clay who stumble and fall and move them to become people of great faith. So the crucial issue for us to remember 
when we've really messed up, turn to God. Repent. Knowing that God's love never fails. Remember, I've, and this isn't, Brother Danny didn't come up with this, but I've been sharing it with you for getting close to the end of 13 years now and heading into 14. You will never do anything that makes God love you more. And you will never do anything that will make God love you less. His grace and His love surrounds us. So what do we need to do? We must seek to trust God's ultimate purpose for our lives. God, I don't understand. And I've been praying this prayer. I don't understand what's happening. I look at the world and I've shared with you before everything that's happening in our country I believed would happen if there were not an awakening but I thought it was 20 years down the road. Everything is sped up. Lord, I don't understand everything that's happening. But I know that you will not abandon us in the time of our trial. We must remember that his path is and always will be the true path for us to walk. And we need to remember We need to grab hold of what the psalmist said, a simple little verse that needs to guide our lives. Psalm 56.3 When I am afraid, I will trust in you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, God. J. Heinrich Arnold wrote an article for Christianity Today Discipleship, living for Christ in the daily grind. And boy, that's a good description of our lives, isn't it? The daily grind. So we have to give ourselves wholeheartedly to God. And if we fail, we must give ourselves again. We all need daily forgiveness for our sins and failures. But what matters is whether we want to be faithful. Faithful to the end of our lives. This means surrendering everything. Our self-will, our hopes for personal happiness our private property, even our weaknesses, and believing in God and in Christ. This is all that is asked of anyone. Jesus does not expect perfection. So friends, let yourselves off the hook. He does not expect perfection, but He wants us to give ourselves wholeheartedly. Here I am, Lord. And I don't know where this will take me. I don't know where the paths of life may lead, but I know every step of the way. You are my shepherd who will guide and sustain me. So when we look at this story, we should acknowledge that fear can strike our hearts. That we are fully capable of making really bad decisions on the basis of fear. But we have a God who can come and restore us and move in us. Our hope remains not because of our perfection, but because of God's grace. So I'm going to ask you now to bow your heads and your hearts before God.
And I'm going to ask you to be very honest with yourself and with our Lord. You may be here today and you're afraid. There are things happening in your life that you don't understand. You're uncertain of what's going to happen. You don't know where the road is taking you. Right now. Open your heart and inquire of God and ask Him to give you direction. Ask Him to show you His strength, His peace, His hope, His grace. If it's just up to me, Lord, I won't make it. But I know it's not up to me. Begin again the journey and start yielding yourself to his touch and his hand. I want to pray for you now. And if you would like to come up to the altar, you certainly may. But our God is here. In spite of all of the things that make us fearful. We are not alone.